All right, so because my notes are on my iPad. <laughs> so uh, a little bit earlier today, I was doing a, um, this is bonus, by the way, this isn't uh, the message, but I was doing a very Bryant Jones thing, and I was trying to walk down the hill and drink coffee at the same time, and uh, I spilled coffee on the shirt that I had on, um, and I could have blamed that on my son and just said, you know, this, this is you know, dad life. But no, that was totally Bryant. And uh, as a result, getting ready to teach tonight, I don't want to teach with a shirt with a coffee stain on it. So uh, my wife, I love having a wife because now when I go on trips, I don't have to pack my own bag. My wife like puts stuff out for me to wear. And of course, she would put this shirt out that says hashtag Bryant. So I thought I would teach in this shirt because I don't have to wear a name tag because my name is on the shirt, number one. But I'm sure some of you are wondering, why in the world do you have a shirt hashtag with your name on it? And uh, for a few of you who may know our story, uh, many of you probably don't, um, Michelle and I are coming up on our second wedding anniversary, 4th of July. And uh, we are also coming up on three years of knowing each other. So uh, we met shortly after I moved to Seattle in 2014. Uh, I was already planning to fly to Chiang Mai, Thailand to lead worship for a group of missionaries. Michelle had been serving in China for about four years at that point. And so we met over this five-day conference in which I was actually teaching a small session on biblical singleness. Go figure. And uh, she wanted to get my notes so that uh, she could take that back and kind of impart these wise words uh, to girls that she was discipling in China. And uh, that uh, note exchange turned into about a two-hour long conversation after which I basically asked her out on a long-distance relationship. And uh, she kind of said yes, and so began us uh, basically writing long letters back and forth to each other via Facebook Messenger. I actually still have them all like categorized in my notes app on my iPad in the cloud and all that stuff. Uh, there were about, uh, I don't know, 80 or 90-something exchanges in about uh, a nine-month period. Uh, but Michelle was really into hashtags, and so we would write these letters, and we would put hashtags all throughout uh, the message and hashtags at the end. So when I went to visit her over Thanksgiving that year, Thanksgiving 2014, she had actually had matching shirts made for us. So she, too, has a hashtag Michelle shirt. And on the back of our shirt, she put all the hashtags that were in the letters that we wrote to one another. Yeah, so. <laughs> so I felt the need to explain the shirt since I'm wearing it. So, yes, and uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about the shirt, a little bit about our story. There's a little bit more to go there, but I won't uh, belabor our time together by telling you more of our story. Anywho, uh, as we come to uh, tonight's time of teaching, uh, we really want to kind of take some of what, uh, really all of what we've learned so far and kind of uh, put some flesh and bones on it. So Pastor Andrew's so graciously uh, given us tools of how to approach the scripture, how we come to the scriptures, how we are to make much of Jesus, magnifying Jesus, seeing him as the hero of the story through the scriptures, and then how, how it is that we meet Jesus in the scriptures. We spent a lot of time looking through that, getting some tools and how to do that this morning. And tonight, I want to talk a little bit more practically of how then, with these tools, do we make disciples of Christ through the scriptures or make Christ known through the scriptures. As we have been seeing him as the hero, as him as the one who is really uh, what the storyline of scripture is all about, and as we are meeting him as we study the scriptures, then how can we walk out of these times and make Christ known? And ultimately, we want to make him known because we want to make disciples of Jesus through the scriptures. 
So through that, throughout the past 15 years or so, I've had uh, various discipling relationships uh, and a few of the more long-lasting ones that uh, stand out are also kind of a good sampling of how I've grown in my understanding or how I've evolved in my understanding of really mentoring versus discipleship uh, and the priority of the Word of God in the discipling relationship. By the way, it was really interesting trying to lead worship with the group downstairs, like I think cranking their music up because our music was going, we were singing, and so all of that going on. So that's what you feel the bass from downstairs, okay? So don't let that distract you, even though it's incredibly distracting, but that's okay. So when I think about some of these relationships, I'm going to tell you about uh, a couple of the guys, and in looking back over the past 15 years, as I've been privileged and uh, just allowed by the grace of God to invest in other young men, uh, how, how those relationships played out, and then help us to see how we are then to prioritize the word in our discipling relationships as we make Christ known through the scriptures. Think about a guy who uh, I started mentoring about 15 years ago. It was uh, 2002, 2003. He was a freshman in high school. His name is Ryan. Uh, Ryan is 29 now. He's actually expecting, um, he and his wife are expecting their first baby girl uh, or their baby girl, their first child, uh, any day now. She's due uh, July 1st. And so it's really cool to have journeyed with this guy for 15 years. Uh, But when I think about my relationship with Ryan, um, I called myself discipling him 15 years ago, but I would probably say now I was mentoring Ryan. Uh, I was kind of a big brother to him. I was really close and still really am involved with his family. Uh, As I got ready to move to Seattle uh, about three, three and a half years ago, uh, as I began to uh, invite people to partner with me, because when you're planting a church, there's not money on the ground, and so you have to like raise support. So I started doing that. And Ryan's family, because we are family, uh, they partnered with me. They still do. And so they're part of how we get to live and be in Seattle. But uh, as I walk through high school with this guy, when I think back 15 years ago, the nature of our relationship, I would say, was highly relational, but there was little time steeping in the scriptures together. The way I ended up in relationship with Ryan, our student ministry, uh, the church I was serving at, we uh, had a, a discipleship program that we called God Walker. And it was designed to be a small group discipling um, program to where you had a, an older mentor, discipler, who was paired with about three to maybe five guys or girls, uh, ladies being paired with girls, of course. And uh, essentially, uh, over the course of a few months, because I was meeting with ninth graders, uh, you know how faithful they are, uh, the group dynamic just kind of fell apart. And so it ended up being Ryan and I. And man, like this guy, I mean, I'm 22 years old. I'm like doing student ministry. Uh, I'm trying to be cool, which I don't have a cool bone in my body, by the way. Um, And so when this kid would like text me or call me on Friday afternoon, I'm at work. And he's basically like, hey, dude, what do you want to do tonight? You want to hang out? And I mean, you would think this was like the girl in my dreams calling. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I want to hang out because I'm like trying to, to, to be cool. And I've got this this teenager who's like really wants to spend time with me. And so without any context, without any training, without any preparation of what a discipling relationship really should be, really uh, uh, should look like, I I spent a lot of time with Ryan. I spent a lot of time talking through life, talking through life situations, encouraging him, trying to help him make decisions through matters in high school. But when I look back on that relationship, it was highly relational, but we spent very little time steeping in the scriptures. 
And I think that was because I abdicated that aspect of our relationship to the fact that he was a student in our student ministry. We had a a really dynamic lead pastor in our church. We had a strong teaching ministry, even in our student ministry. I was just cutting my teeth, leading worship. Uh, And so he was like in the midst of all of that. So I kind of looked at our relationship as as basically being a space in which I can just invest, invest in him relationally, but it didn't need to have a huge word component to it. But by God's grace, uh, in spite of myself, God really grew this guy. He's, he's served in ministry in various aspects as a strong uh, believer in Christ. But I, I would definitely not credit a lot of that because of the, to me spending a lot of time in the scriptures with Ryan. Uh, you had other guys, by God's grace, that came along and invested him in that way. Uh, but our relationship was highly relational, but very little time steeping in the scriptures. So you fast forward about five years after um, me being in a discipleship relation, discipling relationship with Ryan, and at this point, I'm in Texas. Uh, God opened a door of opportunity for me to um, serve as the music pastor at a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and uh, because I just wa- I literally walked through high school with Ryan in his class. Uh, and so I've done that, I've been there, and our children's minister at that church at the time uh, came and approached me about uh, considering mentoring, discipling her son. And because I knew all that was involved in that, I was like, man, like, that would be really cool, but I don't think I have the gas in the tank. Like, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing here. Like, literally, guys, I had only been, like, playing piano and keyboard for, like, five years, and this church hired me to be their music pastor. I'm like, you people don't even know what you just did. Uh, And so I'm trying to make sense of my life in that way. And then I have this mom and and my coworker who's coming to me basically asking me to invest in her son. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I, I, I don't have the bandwidth. Uh, but God wouldn't let me shake that. And reflecting on my relationship with Ryan, I wanted to do things differently with Cameron, and I did. That was a relationship that I would describe as being highly relational, and we, we spent much time steeping in resources about the scriptures. Uh, Andrew mentioned earlier that uh, sometimes in, in, in thinking we are studying the Bible, we're reading more books about the Bible instead of actually getting into the Bible. And I would describe my relationship with Cameron as being highly relational and us steeping ourselves in a lot of resources that, that pointed to the Bible, but we didn't spend a lot of time in the scriptures. This was another one-on-one mentoring or discipling relationship, and I would definitely describe it uh, a little bit as mentoring and discipling because, uh, like myself, Cameron was a musician. Uh, He is actually now serving in ministry, is a music pastor, is a youth pastor, and so a lot of our time together was actually helping, like equipping him in how to do some of those things, uh, even though he really didn't know that God was going to use him in those ways in in about 10 years' time. So that, that was definitely a mentoring relationship. But there was a discipleship component, but still, it wasn't where I believe the word needed to be in that relationship. So in that time I was in Texas, I had the privilege of spending seven years on staff at that church. Uh, There was another guy that was in our church orchestra. He uh, was a high schooler in the area. Uh, I actually, my first Christmas, uh, hired a bunch of high schoolers to kind of beef up our church orchestra. Like, we had orchestra, we had choir. Uh, The way I lead worship here is like a drop in the bucket as to what I've done, people. But we're not trying to go there. I'm just letting you know. 
So I got all these high schoolers in, and I paid them like 25 bucks a Sunday because I just wanted them to ha- kind of help out. And 25 bucks for like, you know, some high schoolers, that's a lot of money like at Christmas time for like four weeks. There was this one kid whose name was Jose that after the fact, I mean, of course, I shared the gospel every t- at every rehearsal, invited them to be a part of our church orchestra after the fact. Uh, there were a few kids that stuck around, and Jose was one of them. And as he and his family were encountering difficult times, uh, I randomly one night got a text from him uh, just kind of asking, you know, uh, if God is good, if God loves all people, then why is my family going through the things we're going through? And so that began an opportunity to, to speak the word, speak the truth into his life. And we entered into a relationship that was, again, highly relational. But because Jose did not know Jesus, I invited him to read through the gospel of John with me. So these other relationships so far have been highly relational, uh, not a lot of priority on the scriptures in my relationship with Ryan because I'd abdicated that to the other ministries of the church. Uh, my relationship with Cameron, there was a presence of the word, but really more resources that pointed to the word. But with Jose, who I've, I've realized what I've done in these other relationships, and I also see that this is a guy who has no relationship with Jesus, is asking really deep and hard questions about life. Man, what this guy needs is to meet the God of the word. And so we began to journey through the Gospel of John together. And by God's grace, over a couple of years of continuing to be a part of our church, continuing to meet with me, continuing to get into the Scriptures together, Jose trusted Jesus, and we were able to celebrate that through believers' baptism in our church. Uh, A couple of months ago, actually, uh, Jose was visiting a high school friend of his from Texas here in Seattle, and we got a chance to get together and spend some time. Uh, I think it was actually Easter weekend. He actually came to our gathering uh, that night. So it was just a cool reconnecting of the dots when I look back over the discipling relationship that I had with him, and I would really describe that as a discipling relationship. And fast forward right towards the end of my time in Texas, about the last two years, again, I walked through high school with Ryan, I walked through high school with Cameron, uh, I pretty much walked through high school with Jose, uh, and then as I was trying to figure out what's next, God put three guys on my heart, and uh, two of them especially, I was like, God, you're not doing this, because all of my time had been spent walking through high school with guys, and two of these guys were eighth graders. And I'm like, Jesus, junior high students are not even human beings right now. Like, I, 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 I think out of all the years of ministry, I loved high school ministry, but I was like, I'm not going to touch junior high ministry with a 10-foot pole. And God put two eighth graders like right in my lap along with a freshman in high school. And I thought, okay, all right. Well, I guess, and that was right at the, at the halfway point. I was like, uh, well, I thought was the halfway point. That was like my fifth anniversary there. And so I thought if I'm going to walk through high school with all three of these guys, uh, I'm going to be there for 10 years. Uh, those two guys who were eighth graders then just graduated high school last week. Uh, so it's only about two years into that discipling relationship that God called me to Seattle and so began that journey. But when I think about Jeremiah, Hunter, and Jesse, I would describe our relationship as highly relational, just as the rest of them, but there was also a high value and high priority of the Word of God. And I would describe that because I realized these guys were young in their faith, uh, but we spent a lot of time talking about, memorizing, and reading the scriptures together. Uh, Andrew talked a little bit earlier about when we read the scriptures, we need to read them with intentionality or uh, with a strategy or with a plan in mind. We don't want to be enslaved to the plan, but we want to allow the plan to serve us. So I found this, uh, this Bible reading plan called the Bible Eater. I don't know if you've ever came across it, but 
dived into this Bible reading plan. This was really ambitious for some eighth and ninth graders. Uh, but they, they rose to the task. And we started down this path of uh, reading large chunks of scripture. Uh, but about every quarter, this is a really cool thing when I, when I remember uh, what we did together. But every quarter, the plan would have what it called a one-sit reading. So as you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, you're kind of kind of walking through the forest, so to speak. But when you get to Deuteronomy, the last, the last book of the Pentateuch, what the plan has you do, instead of reading through that day by day, it says do this as a one-sit reading, which means read the entirety of Deuteronomy at one time. Anybody ever tried to do that before? It is insane. And I did this with two eighth graders and a ninth grader. Like literally, we carved out a Saturday at one of their houses and we sat down, got in the word and read from Deuteronomy chapter one, verse one to the end of the book. And it took us about 10 hours. I mean, we took lunch breaks, bathroom breaks, all that kind of stuff, dinner breaks, but we spent the entire day in the scriptures. And I'm, I, I, now, you got to know this about me, too. I'd cry at the drop of a hat. I mean, the Feed the Children commercial comes on, and I'm, like, all teary-eyed. So even as I'm thinking about this, I'm kind of getting emotional because we spent the entire day in the Scriptures, and they hung there. They hung with me. We did it again reading through uh, First and Second Kings about three months later. But when I think about that relationship and I think about these guys today, about where they are in their walk with Jesus, it's yes, because there was a high, uh, the, re- the relationship was highly relational. I really was a part of their life, really part of the families. But man, I wanted, I wanted these guys to walk away not, not believing in Bryant, not thinking that Bryant was who they needed, what they needed. But in the event, I didn't think I was going to be leaving. I thought I'd be there until they graduated high school. But when it came time for me to step, to follow God's call to Seattle, I was able to leave them with Jesus. They weren't so torn up that I was leaving them because the one who promised to never leave them and never forsake them was still with them. And they knew that because we'd been steeping ourselves in the word. So that is what I want to encourage us with. As we think about making Christ known through the scriptures, making disciples of Christ with the scriptures, we want to be highly relational. We want people to know us. We want to invest in people's lives. But guys, we want to place a high priority on the word of God. It is not enough just to have a ministry of presence with people. That is highly valuable. That is important. But we also want to minister the word in the midst of having a ministry of presence so that when and if, whether it's the Lord calls us home, the Lord calls us to a different place. If you're investing in a coworker, God opens a door of opportunity that you're like, man, I just can't, I can't, I cannot pass up on this. I need to go through this. If you leave your job, what you've done is given someone the word of God, which is what lasts forever. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that the, the flower withers, the grass fades and the flower withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that's what we want to deposit in people's lives. So as we think about examples that we can glean uh, from in the scriptures, not read ourselves into the storyline, uh, but someone, a character in the Bible that we can look to and, and pull some, some examples or some gleanings from as to how we can do this, I think about Philip in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. The scripture says there, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, 
a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to him, ran to him, and heard him reading, the, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and, and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers, his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip, <laughs> this is so great. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news, the gospel about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in, that, in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I want to pull a few gleanings from this passage that I think in order to make Christ known through the scriptures or to make disciples of Christ with the scriptures, we look to Philip's uh, examples and we find uh, or, or we see how we are to, I think, first and foremost, be sensitive to the spirit. How we're to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obey every prompting. The text says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and gave him new directions. And it goes on to say, and he arose, and once he went to where he was instructed, he then received further instructions as to what to do or who to engage. And you got to understand why this is important, because just before this passage in Acts chapter 8, Philip finds himself in Samaria, and it's like revival is breaking out. He is preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Everybody is coming to hear what he has to say. Demons are being cast out. People are being delivered. People are being saved. It's like a Holy Ghost hoedown in this place. Why would you leave such a time, right? Except for Philip was sensitive to the voice of the Lord. An angel of the Lord spoke, told him what to do, and he did it with haste. This reminds me of the four tenants of Evan Roberts, who led the Welsh revival of the early 20th century. During that revival, they, they stepped out with four tenets, and they are this. Number one, confessing openly and fully to God any sin not confessed to him before. So confess sin. Secondly, do away with anything doubtful in ourselves or in our life. If it's questionable as to whether or not this is pleasing to the Lord or going to be a blessing to people, like if it is questionable, doubtful, rid it of our lives. Third, Give prompt obedience to the influences of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Basically, obey every prompting of the Spirit. And fourth, confess Christ openly and publicly before the world. I think we see these tenets at work throughout the book of Acts as a whole. But here in this passage, I think we see clearly Philip acting on Numbers 3 and Numbers 4. 
He is obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and he is professing Christ publicly as he comes uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch. If we're putting into practice the tools that have already been given to us this weekend, then we'll continually be reminded that Jesus is the hero of the Bible, right? Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Say that. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. If we're using the tools that we've gained, we'll continually be reminded of that. And as we seek to live under the authority of the scriptures and in light of the truth of scripture, we'll grow in our understanding, not only that Jesus is the hero of the Bible, but Jesus is the hero of my story. Not just my past, but he's my hero today, and he's going to be my hero tomorrow for all eternity. So as we're being prompted or influenced or led by the Holy Spirit, in light of these things, we'll be led to do and to say those things that point other people to the hero. But it begins by being sensitive to or being filled with the Holy Spirit and obeying his prompting, knowing that the Spirit is only going to lead us to do that which is pleasing to Christ and will bring him glory and will be a blessing to other people. And we can know that. We can know that, believe it, and trust that as we learn from Christ as we meet him in the scriptures, as we study, as we talked about this morning. As I was uh, writing this, I thought about um, how our kids are growing up together, right? And uh, some of us, they see up front more than others. And so uh, my son is probably going to grow up around the Arthur kids. And, you know, they're the preacher kids. So you got to, like, everybody, like, give us extra support, like, you know, uh, and extra grace. But uh, because our kids are maybe growing up in, in really close proximity, a lot of our kids might be growing up in close proximity, um, they, they might not question uh, when Andrew tells, Jackson might not question something when Andrew or Kim tells him something. I think about others that we're in relation, close relationship with uh, Jason or, or George. Uh, because of the proximity of the relationship, when they tell them to do something, if they tell my son to do something, not only does he know that these are Papa's friends, but he also knows them and their heart because of the amount of time that he spent with them. Now, if you've not spent a lot of time with me and Michelle and spent a lot of time around Jackson, then he might be a little skittish around you, although we've got a really, really social guy. I don't know what we're going to do. But because he might not know you as well, he might not trust everything you tell him. Likewise, as we steep ourselves in in the scriptures, as we meet Christ, grow in our love for him, grow in our trust for him, begin to submit ourselves to him, we begin to realize, according to what Jesus says of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John, The Holy Spirit's not going to tell us to do anything that Jesus himself hasn't already said. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known. He's not speaking on his own accord. He's not doing anything to bring emphasis or focus to himself. So when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and we're obeying him, we are obeying Jesus because the Holy Spirit is telling us exactly what Jesus wants us to do. So we can trust him. What the Holy Spirit wants us to do It's to make Christ known because that's the Spirit's ministry. And the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, by the way. So as we study the scriptures and we meet Christ there, we know what he loves. We know what he values. We know what's important to him. And as the Holy Spirit leads us in those directions, we don't don't have to be afraid to go there because this is what Jesus wants. 
think the second thing we can glean from this passage from Philip's example is that we should be sensitive to what God might be doing in the lives of those around us. In the passage, Philip was not only sensitive to and responsive to the Spirit, but he was also observant of what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing. He was reading the scriptures. So he's given instruction by the angel Lord to go to this place, and then he's given instruction to come alongside the, the chariot, and as he's coming alongside the chariot, he hears the man reading, and particularly, he, I think this is, this is important to, to not miss, Philip didn't just think this guy was reading something out loud. Philip was intimately acquainted enough with the word that he heard what he was reading and he knew it was the scriptures. So as we meet Christ in the scriptures and we study the scriptures, as we meditate on them, as we allow our lives, our minds, our hearts to marinate in the word, we should recognize it when we hear it. And as Philip came, al- came up alongside the chair, he heard the words the man was reading, and he knew it was Scripture. He knew exactly where it was, as a matter of fact. The text also indicates that this guy was returning from Jerusalem where he had been to worship. So Philip may have been aware of this, that he was on his way back from Jerusalem and maybe had some inkling as to why he had been there. So he knew God was at work in this guy's life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And then we see something interesting happen. Philip essentially joined God in what he was doing as he was working in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Henry Blackaby, a theologian, author, uh, pastor, uh, wrote a book many, many years ago entitled uh, Experiencing God. And one of the, the, the key ideas that he communicates in Experiencing God is that you don't have to go and create work to do for Jesus. All we have to do is be sensitive to what God is doing around us, and he's, he's at work in ways that, that we can't really understand. But as we are in tune to what he's doing, just kind of pressing to knowing him, trusting him, listening to the Spirit, all we'll have to do is join him in what he's doing. And the beautiful thing is, we don't, we don't just have to like figure it out. God is always inviting us to join him in what he's doing. And this is what we see happening in this passage. God was at work in the Ethiopian eunuch, and God invited Philip to join him in what he was doing in this man's life and in this man's heart. So we have to trust that God is already at work in the hearts of people around us, much like he was at work in our hearts, opening our eyes to the beauty of Jesus as we came to know and trust him as the Savior. He put people in our lives to either expose us to the truth and glory of Jesus for the very first time or to walk alongside us to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is and help us to grow in our new and budding faith or even put people in our lives to further instruct, encourage, and equip us for the work of ministry. In the book One to One uh, Bible Reading, David Helm, the author, says that people are in one of three stages in the Christian life. They are either first in a stage of before becoming a Christian, so they're not Christians yet, they're like Jose, they're they're experiencing maybe difficulty in life, Uh, they're having questions, profound questions about life, I mean, and there are people in the city of Seattle who are not experiencing hardship, and they still have deep questions about life. Like, man, life is good, but life really doesn't have any meaning. They're asking those questions. They're They're not yet Christians, but they need someone to help them understand why they're here. And by God's grace, he's put us in the city of Seattle. He's put us in a place where we can rub shoulders with people like that and begin to point them to the one who really and truly gives purpose to life. 
Secondly, they, it might be right after becoming a Christian. They're a new Christian, and they need to be invested in. They need, they need someone to help them understand the Scriptures, to grow up in, into Christ. And thirdly, he says, uh, they might be a Christian who's ready to lead or to serve. And for any of these folks, what they need is the Word of God. But I would say there's perhaps a fourth category, one that we've come to call post-Christian. Maybe they've been through these three stages and they're on the other side, or they say they're on their side, the other side of faith or involvement in the church. What they need is exposure or re-exposure to the hero of the Bible, Jesus. I think some practical steps to engaging in this process, they're really simple, but they're really profound. First of which is to pray. But I really believe we don't put priority on prayer the way we should put priority on prayer. So I sat on the, the teaching ministry of my friend and pastor in Texas. I heard him say countless times, and it took a while for it to sink in, but he says, prayerlessness is pride. When we don't pray, it's because we believe we don't need the one that we're praying to. And so when we think about making much of Jesus, magnifying Jesus, magnifying the gospel through the ministry of our church, man, if we're not praying, then what we're saying is we don't need Jesus to magnify Jesus. That's pride. Man, we can figure it out. We can do it. We, we can get smart enough, crafty enough, cool enough, slick enough. We don't need Jesus. If we're not praying, we're not saying that, but by not praying, that's exactly what we're saying. When we talk about making much of Christ and making disciples of Christ in our workplace, throughout our city, if we're not praying, asking God to be at work first and foremost in people's lives and connecting us to those people, then we're basically saying, Jesus, we don't need you to do this. So if it's going to happen first and foremost, we have to pray because prayerlessness is pride. The scriptures tell us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we want to humble ourselves and cry out to God for those around us who need him, who need to mature in their faith, who need to, to take the next step in their walk with Jesus and begin to lead or to serve in the church. Second thing we do, we invite. I mean, I think we see in the passage Philip being invited by God, and then he comes up alongside the chariot, and he essentially <laughs> invites himself into the chariot. Hey, I, I hear you're reading. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I understand what I'm reading if there's no one to explain? Well, here I am. Can, can I join you? Now, of course, it might not be that you're hearing the person in the cubicle or in the office or uh, hear your neighbor out in the backyard reading the Bible. However, we can initiate relationship with people. We're praying that God would show us people around us who are in need of him, who he's at work in their heart. And as he shows us those people, we've got to take the step of initiating that relationship, invite them into relationship with you. And again, we want to, we want to place a high value on being relational in our discipling relationships, but we also want to place a high priority on the word. So I don't want to just invite them into my life. I want to invite them into the scriptures. Because Philip's example of course, God already had this guy reading the scriptures, but I think it's important that we invite people to read the Bible. Statistics show that people are less likely to come to church with you just because you invited, but are actually more inclined to study the Bible with a Christian if they were asked to. So we pray that God would connect us with people 
who are longing, who are searching, who are in need of him, who he's at work in, and we invite them to step into the scriptures with us. Now, because we are a network of missional communities that gather together for corporate worship, the design of our missional community would be that it's a space in which we are stepping into the scriptures together. So this is a place I would, I would love to hear and, and, and find out one day that we have uh, a considerable number of people, more people involved in our missional communities than what we see in our Sunday gatherings. Because to me, that means our missional communities are connecting with people who are far from Jesus, engaging them in service, engaging them in the scriptures. And if we're doing that, the people who we gather on a weekly basis will grow. I believe that. So we invite people not only into relationship, but we want to invite them to step into the scriptures. Now, on a pragmatic, practical level, once you extend that invitation, make a plan to meet. Get out your calendar, find a day, find a time, set up the appointment, and then do it. Pray, invite, plan to meet, and dive into the word together. It's not rocket science. But it takes courage. It takes boldness. And some people are going to reject you. That's okay. But I guarantee you, if you do it again and again and again and again, you will be surprised when people begin to take you up on the invitation to read through the scriptures together, to study through the scriptures together. And as we do so, what we want to do is introduce them to the hero of the story. I think another gleaning that we get from Philip in this passage is that we want to be intentional in speaking the good news about Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So this guy is reading through the scriptures as we hope to read through scriptures, through the scriptures with the people that we live around, that we work with, uh, that we engage with our missional communities. We want to dive into the scriptures together. But as they're reading through the scriptures, he starts to ask questions. And he asks a simple question, man, who, who is this, this person talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about a prophet? Who's he talking about? And man, it's like a wide open door. Philip's like, man, let me tell you who he's talking about. And he says from this scripture, he began to, to share, to explain the good news, the gospel of Jesus with this Ethiopian eunuch. Because Jesus is the hero of the story, And we see him whispered, spoken of all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. There's not a passage in the Bible. It's not a place in the Bible that if you're reading with a person, whether they're yet to become a Christian, they're a new believer, they need to take the next step of their faith, or they need to re-engage with the hero of the story, Jesus. There's not a passage in the Bible that does not point to Jesus. So as we begin to step into the word with people, we have the opportunity to point them to Jesus and explain, to to proclaim the good news of how he's not only the hero of the Bible, he's not only the hero of my life, but he is and can be the hero of your life. He is because he's Lord, because he is Savior. Whether one embraces him or not doesn't change who he is, but then he can be because all you have to do is trust him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we dive into the scriptures together, we have to be intentional to speak the good news about Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So making disciples of Christ from the scriptures, 
we look to Philip's example, and I think we see this. And following through what we've already learned today, just asking those application questions, I think a similar thing happened in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. As he began to understand the scriptures, he wanted to bring his life under the authority of Jesus. He wanted to bring his life under the authority of the scriptures. And he, he's the one who asked the question, all right, so what do I got to do? I want to be here. We got some water here. Can we get in the water? I think as we study the scriptures together, we not only want to bring our life further under the authority and conformity to, to the image of Christ as we see it in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit, of course, does that, but we have to participate in that process. We'll hear a little bit more about that in Philippians in the next couple of weeks. But as we come under the scriptures, as we ask these questions, what must I do in response to what God is saying to me, what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing? The same thing happens in the lives of people that we're studying the scriptures with. And Jesus begins to grab a hold of their heart. He begins to transform them. He begins to rescue them. And they begin to see him as the hero, not only of the Bible, but of their story and as the hero of the whole world. If we're going to magnify and multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth, I believe we've got to be committed not only to stepping into people's lives, having a high value on being relational, but we've got to prioritize the word. I believe wholeheartedly in what Jesus says in in Matthew 24, 14. He says, this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all the nations. The word there is ethne. So all the different people groups of the world as a testimony. And then the end will come. As we dive into the scriptures, there's ample opportunity proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And as we do that, and I see Jesus as the hero, not only of the scriptures, but of my story, and I realize he is the hero of the whole world, I begin to make him known to other people. And the same thing begins to happen over and over and over again till we get to a place where all the ethne, all the peoples of the earth have received a testimony of God's goodness through the face of Jesus Christ. And then the end will come which also implies that if we are not prioritizing the scriptures in our relationships, then the gospel is not going forth, and the ethne are not getting the gospel. And then we're all sitting around wondering, Jesus, when are you coming again? If we will prioritize the word of God in our relationships, making the hero of the story known, God will do what only God can do. And Our ambition is to magnify and multiply the gospel. If we try to do that without praying and asking God to do that through us, then we we figure we can do it on our own. But God is the one who magnifies and multiplies the gospel. As we dive into the words ourselves, dive into the scriptures ourselves, and engage other people around us with the scriptures. This gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all the ethnic, to all the nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. So let's be about the business of not only getting into the scriptures ourselves, but engaging those around us with the scriptures so that Christ might be made known and disciples might be made of him to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for how you have loved us and, and rescued, ransomed us by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you and trust you and love you more deeply. But thank you for entrusting us with your word and with the privilege to be ministers of reconciliation. 
I pray for us all that we would, yes, press into a relationship with, with people around us, in our neighborhoods, in our buildings, in our workplace, uh, in the places that you put us. And as we press into those relationships, we would prioritize your word. We prioritize speaking your word. When we hear the lies of the enemy, uh, as people speak about what they think and what they feel or what they believe about the world that is, that that would be ample opportunity for us to speak the truth of your word into their lives. That we would invite them into relationship and not just relationship for the sake of knowing us, but in relationship for the sake of introducing them to you through the scriptures. We believe wholeheartedly and where we don't, God, would you help our unbelief that we would believe that the gospel is the power of God until salvation to anyone, to everyone who believes. And that we'd risk our reputation, that we would leverage our lives, our time, our talent, and our resources to making you known, Jesus, throughout our city and to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for this weekend, for the sweet fellowship that we've experienced, for the time in your word. And we ask that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would impress these things on our heart, that as Jesus said you would, you would bring them to our remembrance time and time again, that these wouldn't be just notes that we've taken and another notebook that we put on the shelf, but that you would allow these truths to go deep and that you would transform our lives as a result of it. Christ be magnified and be made known through the lives we live for the sake of those in our city, and for the sake of those in this world. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.